We are back for another week in the world of Sasta with me, Harry Stebbings, and you can find me on Instagram, yes, Instagram, on at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. I'd love to see you there. However, diving straight into the show today, and I'm thrilled to welcome a leader of industry to the hot seat today in the form of Clayt Mask, founder and CEO of Infusionsoft. Infusionsoft is the leading cloud-based CRM platform for growth-minded small businesses, and they have more than 145,000 users worldwide. And under Clayt's leadership, Infusionsoft has grown from a fledgling startup housed in a worn-down strip mall into a 550-person company, raising over $130 million in VC funding in the process. If that wasn't enough, Clayton is also an angel investor with the likes of Campus Logic, where he also sits on the board, and he's also co-author of Conquer the Chaos, How to Grow a Successful Small Business Without Going Crazy. I also want to give a big hand to Jason Lemkin and the team at Bain for the intro to Clayton today, without which this episode would not have been possible. But before we dive into the show today, let's face it, email gets messy and complicated, especially with Google Groups and distribution lists. Front, the first shared inbox for Teams, makes it easy to manage your company's info at and help at email addresses. With Front, Teams get back to customers faster with easy internal collaboration and clear owners so there's no confusion. Front also works with Twitter, Facebook, Twilio, SMS, and live chat so your team manages everything in one place and never misses a message again. Today, companies such as Shopify, HubSpot, General Assembly, and Y Combinator all use Front to help their teams work better together and you can sign up for a free trial today at frontapp.com and thanks to my friends at WePay let me introduce you to another very cool player in SaaS Pointman offers cloud and mobile products for home service contractors thousands of contractors use Pointman apps today to collect more actionable customer data to engage and service their customers at new levels and ultimately to enjoy more financial and personal freedom in a paper heavy industry the platform is eliminating paper with world class technology and you can learn more at pointmanhq.com and to learn how you can grow your revenue with integrated payments like pointman did visit wepay.com forward slash sasta who knows work with wepay and you could even be featured here in a future profile as i said wepay.com forward slash sasta but that's quite enough from me so i'm now thrilled to hand over to clayton mask founder and ceo at infusionsoft good that's perfect okay i think we're warmed up Clayt, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. Huge thanks to the team at Bain Capital for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Clayt. Oh, you bet. Great to be with you, Harry. Not at all, but I want to kick off today on you and how you made your way into the world of SaaS and came to found Infusionsoft. Well, you know, it, it was definitely not a an intentional path that I chose. It just kind of happened. We were, my co-founders and I were doing web-based software before it was called SaaS. And we were basically helping small businesses do their sales and marketing more effectively with online CRM and, and marketing software. And then SaaS just kind of grew up around us. And I think for us, it was just the way to deliver the software most efficiently, most effectively to small businesses and couldn't be more excited about the way the industry has exploded. Can I ask a really broad and quite strange question? You having started pre the term SaaS really developing and developing into what it has done today, what does SaaS as a term mean to you today? It's often bandied around in every manner. What does it mean to you? Yeah, yeah. You know, to me, it's just a really effective way to align the customer and the vendor with a delivery model that makes sense for both sides. If you put it more technically, it's obviously hosted software you don't have to mess with in your own 
location and you can access it from anywhere. But I think it's more deep than that. I think the philosophy is actually the way that software is delivered to the benefit of both the vendor and the customer. And I think that's the huge thing that changed from the old days where it was all shelfware and people sold, vendors sold a hefty piece of software and didn't really get used. No, absolutely. And I love that alignment of interest there. But I do want to break the interview up today into a couple of different parts. I want to start on the foundations of which market to target. We both discussed our, our love for your discussion topic on that before. Then how to measure success in that market and then finishing on the partnerships element. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds great, Harry. Okay, so starting on the theme of which market to focus on, you've said before that too many people focus on moving upstream to enterprise. So starting with a little on the why, why do you think so many founders are so enraptured with this move upstream? Well, you know, it's the the holy grail of lifetime value of customer or, you know, annual contract value, however you want to think of it. It's just, it's the dollars per customer that you're getting. And the reality is that sometimes, and I don't like to say this because I'm such a passionate guy about the small business space, but the reality is sometimes it's it's easier to scale the business when you're getting customers that are paying you more because every sale takes time, every sale has a cost to it. And if you're getting more dollars per customer, it just logically makes sense that you're going to get more dollars per customer if you want to scale the fastest way. So I get why people do it. It's just not the right thing for us. Mm-hmm, absolutely. A lot of people do it for the demand from the investor base. Why do you think yeah. maybe the investors are, are wrong in always suggesting that it is the best path to take? When I say always, I'm saying 95%. <laughs> yeah, you, we can say always. <laughs> you know, I think it's just because they're focused on the exit and, you know, they're trying to grow the business as fast as possible and get to an exit, get to liquidity for themselves and their LPs. And that makes, it makes sense. It's just that sometimes that is antithetical with the philosophy or the strengths of the company. And so I just don't believe that it's always the right thing to do. And I think sometimes you get a divergence of interest between the founding team and the investors because the founding team really isn't best suited to serve that particular market. So I think it's just something that you've got to be very conscious of as a founder and be aware of of the realities in the gravitational pull that is going to bring you upstream if you raise venture capital. And if you, you know, if you're if you're concerned about that, you got to hit it up front right at the beginning. Speaking of kind of investor concern about being in that market purely, uh, I obviously work with Jason Lemkin a lot. And whenever we look at deals in, in the SMB space, he says, that's fine, but we need to really ensure that top of funnel is always full. How do you think about this and ensuring top of funnel with today and Infusionsoft? That's a great point that Jason makes. And it's, you know, one of the reasons to stay in the small business market is because the TAM is so huge, you know, and, and that's always the drop. But the, tr- the real trick is how to get the right small businesses into the top of your funnel. That's that's the tricky thing, because if you try to boil the ocean and just go after all small businesses, you get a massive churn problem on your hands because product market fit is invariably going to be off when you go after all small businesses. But the general point Jason's making is right. You, you got to keep the top of the funnel full. So for us, it's all about understanding who that target customer is and then being able to meet them in the places where it makes sense, where they already are. And we do a number of different things to drive that top of funnel. But for us, it's more about the fit of the customer at the top of the funnel than just the numbers at the top of the funnel. Mm -hmm. With regards, you said about the right customer there and moving subsequently to the qualification element. With such a huge TAM and so many potential customers, is it really feasible to have such an extensive qualification process that would traditionally be seen in enterprise? Well, you know, it's interesting. it's It's such a great question, Harry. And that's really the biggest challenge of going after the small business market is 
how do you qualify them? How do you segment them? How do you narrow it down and get the right customers? And you know that really depends on your offering. It depends on the way that you're going to market. It depends on the onboarding experience that you've created. So you have to get the product and the marketing and the onboarding all right in order to line up to the right target customer. And we've learned different things over the years and seen different ways of doing that. I would say that at one point it was more of a demographic approach and then it became a more psychographic approach. And I think what we've narrowed in on is a pretty good blend of demographics and psychographics that help us get the right customer at the top of the funnel. Mm -hmm. And once you've made this very bold decision to remain in this segment of the market, I'd love to talk about kind of what that focus and commitment does in terms of the structure of your company and the product roadmap and having that commitment. How does that affect it going forward? It's a great question. It's all about the onboarding effectiveness because what we found, and we'll get to this in a second, I'm sure, when we talk about metrics and how to, you know, how to really measure the success, but it's all about the retention. And so when you look at retention, it comes down to getting the right kinds of customers, which we, we talked about for a minute, boarding them effectively into a product that delivers great value. What we have to do to answer your question is we got to make sure that the product is delivering great value so that when a customer uses it, they're not going anywhere. They'll be happy. They'll, they'll be satisfied, thrilled with the product and stay with us. But let's assume we've got that in place because that's kind of table stakes. You, you know, hopefully you've got a product that's serving your target customer well. Then it comes down to onboarding. It comes down to the speed, the speed to value. And in small business, you know, you can't take months or quarters to get value out of your, <laughs> out of your CRM system that you implement. You got to get that value in days or hours or minutes. So that's the real focus for us is how do we onboard the customer effectively? So you got kind of flanking the onboarding experiences on the one hand is getting the right customers in. And then on the other hand is making sure that once they're onboarded, they're getting great value in the product. Again, I'm very much uh, used to enterprise investments. So I'm sorry for these questions, but in terms of that retentive element, often, you know, I see extensive levels of customer success teams to really enable that retention and high levels of it. How do you think about that from an SMB approach where that customer success structure maybe isn't feasible with the ACVs? Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to take tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of small businesses and split them up amongst a bunch of account managers or, you know, customer success managers. It's just not a feasible way to scale. So by the way, we did that for a period of time and, and had some success with it. But, you know, the real thing that we found is making sure there's a clear success path for the customer that we know when they're off path and we can make it really clear that they're off path and help them to get back on the path. So first thing is know when they're off the success path and then be able to effectively reach out and help those customers when they need to get back on path. And what we've done is to get to 100 million, we did that largely internally with some help from partners. And then when we crossed the 100 million mark, we recognized that to continue to scale to the next level, we really needed to expand the partner ecosystem. And it's now through the partner ecosystem that we make it possible for customers to get that help they need when they're off the success path. So there's a number of different things we do, but simply put, we ensure that they're on the success path and we give attention to those who slip off of it. Before we delve into the metrics element and the partnership element, I and the kind of final question on the market itself, I'm intrigued. When you look back at the journey now with this benefit of hindsight, uh, you've said before, the hard road less traveled. What's been the biggest challenge then for you on this hard road? Yeah, it's really getting that right customer at the top of the funnel. And because getting it on board, getting them onboarded effectively, that's a challenge. Making sure the product's delivering value is, is a challenge. But in the world, when it comes down to the decision to go after small business, onboarding is a challenge for anybody. Product market fits a challenge for anybody. But when you go after such a massive 
massive TAM, the real challenge there is finding those customers in small business that are the right fit. And so for us, the biggest challenge was getting that combination of demographics and psychographics in kind of our target customer profile so that we could fill the funnel with the right prospects. That's a much harder challenge than people realize in small business. Absolutely. We mentioned the element of metrics, metrics, metrics there. And I do want to delve into that, into kind of analyzing how we're performing in the market itself. So talk to me, what can startups do in determining which metrics amongst the plethora that we hear today to track and measure in their SaaS business? Let's start with that. Yeah, you bet. Obviously, there's things like LTV CAC ratio and CAC payback. Those are super important. But I'll tell you, the thing that uh, 12 plus years in SaaS has taught me is that it's usage, usage, usage. And so especially in small business, when you're in an enterprise company, you know, when you're serving enterprise, you can kind of reactively go after the customers that have fallen off the success path that aren't aren't implementing the way they need to and give them some triage and attention and fix it. In small business, when you're de- and, and in, in a consumer app as well, it's all about usage and you've got to make sure that the customers are on that success path, that the key indicators that you know are going to drive value for the customer are being achieved. So I actually don't think that while, while LTV to CAC is a meta metric that everybody cares about, investors care about a ton, and I certainly care about it as the CEO, what I really want to know is under the covers, what does usage look like? Absolutely. What, what is good usage to you then? When you look at your kind of dashboard of metrics that the C-suite bring to you, what makes you smile? What makes you go mm, neutral? What makes you frown? What makes me smile is consistent logins, contacts uploaded, and uh, campaigns launched. Those are the three things that for us, running a CRM and marketing automation suite for small businesses, if they're not logging in consistently, if they're not adding context regularly to their system, and if they're not launching campaigns, then it's Houston, we have a problem. If on the other hand, those things are happening, almost all of the other metrics in the business fall into place. That's very interesting to hear the alignment between the two. Yeah, You said there, obviously, the kind of centrality of usage. We had Shan Sinhar at High Five on the show recently, and he said that payback period is by far the most important. How do you think about payback for you today with Infusionsoft in the stack of metrics we have? It's very important. I consider CAC payback right up there, maybe not quite as high as LTV CAC ratio, which I consider to be kind of the the mother of all SaaS metrics. But to me, CAC payback is really important. And I do look at that closely. You know, we like to be under a year in CAC payback. And I think that's generally healthy for folks. It's a really important indicator for us to see how we're doing in our sales and marketing efficiency. And we track that closely. Can I ask, in terms of uh, ramp times for sales teams, how does that differ when solely serving SMB markets compared to maybe the more enterprise focus that we often hear about? It's faster because our sales cycle is quick. In an enterprise model, it's going to take you a while to get the sales reps productive. In our model, within two months, we've got a new sales rep on board, productive. In month three, they're on full quota. So it's a quick ramp. It's one of the things I love about our model. It's a quick sales cycle. We're not spending weeks and months going back and forth. There's no RFPs. There's nothing. You know, there's none of that. It's 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 a very quick process. I often hear founders uh, struggling to assess kind of sales rep comp. I'm intrigued. What's a good comp to revenue brought in multiple for you, do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I've talked to a bunch of different CEOs about this. And, you know, what we love to see is a million ARR. And that, you know, that's something that is tough to get to, but that's really what we love to get to. In terms of before we move away from metrics to partnerships, we, we can't not talk about, as you said, that the mothership being CAC to LTV. Dave Kellogg and Paul Albright, of previous guests, both agree with you. I'm intrigued. How have you 
you seen your cat to LTV develop over time and what today is good for you? Yeah. And this is why churn is so critical because churn swings the CAC LTV ratio more than anything else. You can do um, upsells to improve LTV. You can improve units acquired to improve the LTV CAC ratio. You know, obviously that improves the CAC dramatically when you've got more customers you're bringing in. But I've found that over time, the thing that moves it the most is the churn metric. So for us, LTV CAC is the mother metric and churn is the most important element of LTV CAC, followed closely by number of new customers and then obviously the upsells and add-ons. But I think, you know, to me, what we've learned over the years is that you've got to have the churn in a stable place. And I've, you know, we've definitely had our ups and downs on the small business SaaS roller coaster. You know, there's, it's not a straight path. I understand why people move upstream. It's our passion though. And so it's not the right thing for us to move upstream. And so we've had, you know, Harry, we've had three episodes of, as we scale, trying to work through the churn and smooth it back out. And what I would say my biggest thing over the years is make sure that your underlying usage is strong because that will drive retention, which drives LTV CAC. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued. Uh, before we move into the quick fire, we mentioned that kind of the scaling of the business. And you said when you reached 100 million, it was really the time to enable the partnership model. So I want to finish on that today because it's an increasing question I have from founders in terms of how to think about them. Let's start with this. How does one know whether a partnership model is the right model for them and their target market? How can you tell? Well, I'll tell you one thing that happened for us. I don't know if this, is, this applies for everybody. We found decreasing efficiency in our go-to-market strategy and metrics. And what we found was that we had a hard time both acquiring and serving small businesses at the scale that we had achieved when we got to 100 million. And so when we had a slowing of growth and a, a decreasing in the efficiency of those metrics, for us, it was like we had been dabbling with the partner ecosystem. You know, I would say that we had a partner program, we had a partner strategy to a certain extent, but we really weren't all in on it. And so we had a lot of channel conflict. We had a lot of frustrated partners. Internally, we weren't clear and focused on that strategy. So what we discovered, Harry, was it was the key to leverage in service and to efficiency in customer acquisition. And so we really doubled down on that beginning January 1 of of last year, and it's made a huge impact for the company. I guess the nutshell answer to that is if you're seeing some struggles in your efficiency of acquisition or service, you probably have an opportunity to leverage a partner ecosystem. And would you be bold in saying that it's not an ecosystem that you can dabble in? It's one you have to be fully committed to. Yes, I would absolutely say that. I would also say something that an interesting learning that we had when we had a partner program, we really looked at it as a sales channel. And there was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of frustration because we were providing services and partners were providing services. We were selling and partners were selling. We had a lot of frustration both internally and externally. And what we found, we did a deep dive on kind of understanding what we needed to do to improve our program and our our partner strategy. And what we learned was that our channel was actually more of a service channel. They were a service channel first and a sales channel second. And that challenged our thinking. It, It kind of went against why we wanted a channel in the first place, because I mentioned we were seeing some decreasing efficiency in acquisition. So what we ended up doing is we created a program that really focused on serving these partners and helping them to be successful in their business. We created an organization and a structure that was all about partner success. So we we basically took all of our thinking about customer success and said, we're going to help small business customers succeed through partners. And we began to really focus on partners. And it was incredible to see what happened as last year developed, because as we focused on the channel as a service channel, it became also a very strong sales channel. Well, Clay, this part 
partnership model seems like the holy grail, but uh, like anything, I'm sure there's always downsides. And you've said before that there are risks and challenges to really enabling the partnership model. If we take each in turn, what are the big risks to partnership models? Well, one risk is it, it causes some problems for you internally because what we ended up doing was pushing a lot of our service work out to partners. And that meant lost jobs at, inside the company. It meant friends leaving the business. It meant a shakeup in our culture. And that was tough. So that was one risk because I didn't want to believe that that was going to happen. I, I wanted to believe we could kind of have it both ways and keep our service people internally and elevate them to higher functioning activities for the customer. But the reality was that our partners were delivering a great service to our customers and it and the leverage that we needed in the model came from basically getting rid of a bunch of those jobs that we once did internally. So that for us was, you know, always a great place to work, great culture. That was a big challenge for us. It was, a, you know, and I didn't recognize that risk going in. And so I would caution CEOs as they think about this to recognize the realities of what you're taking on when you shift your model to a direct service model from a direct service model to a partner service model. That's that's one thing. And then on the challenges element, what would you say was the biggest challenge? I think the biggest challenge was undoing the DNA of the company that existed for many, many years of serving customers directly and acquiring customers directly and sort of recognizing that we need partners and we're willing to really bring them into the company, so to speak. It's not unlike opening separate offices and the challenges you have dealing with remote offices and employees. It's a new thing for and you got to take that on. It was similar. There's just a, there's just a whole new way of working with partners that I think it, it took us a while to get that figured out out, but the rewards are, are definitely worth it. No, absolutely. I am clear from your growth, but I do want to move into my favorite of any interview, being Clay 60 Seconds Saster. A quick fire round. How does that sound? You bet. Sounds great. So 60 seconds per one, the most important role of CEO is upscaling management team. Agree or disagree? Agree. Why is that over uh, vision, culture, mission? Because all problems are leadership problems, and when you have leaders who don't have the paradigm and understanding of what needs to be done. They're in on-the-job learning mode. And a certain amount of that's okay, but you've got to constantly be building and developing and upgrading your team with people who get it and understand what needs to be done and are aligned with your purpose, values, and mission. The most important element an investor can provide is empathy. Agree or disagree? I disagree. I think that that's maybe the most reassuring thing for entrepreneurs and you know VC-backed CEOs, but I think the most important element that they bring is candor and clear clear, honest assessment of what's happening. Tell me about a moment in your life that served as an inflection point and maybe changed the way you think. Yeah, it was when my wife and I, when, when Sharice and I got aligned on the business, you know, for a long time, we were struggling and we were struggling in the business, which caused struggles at home. We were, we were having a hard time seeing eye to eye on the purpose of the business and what we were trying to accomplish. And let's face it, she was dealing with all of the frustrations of, of a delusional CEO entrepreneur that was trying to make things work. <laughs> and, you know, it was burning her out and it was really, really taxing our marriage and our family. But when we got on the same page, I began to see the business differently. I began to see everything differently. It's made all the difference for us. Can I ask a personal question? How, how does one get on the same page? Oh, boy, that is a great question. Um, that's, an, that's an episode in itself. <laughs> that is an episode in itself. We should talk about that. I think the short answer is that the entrepreneur listens to the spouse 
spouse, even though the spouse is going to say a lot of hard things you don't want to hear. And for me, what I found is being willing to listen and being willing to change, even change things like get out of the business. The willingness to do that is what brought us together to have a productive conversation, which ultimately didn't result in me leaving the business, obviously, but it allowed her to feel a partner with me that we were solving the problems together instead of me just going off and doing my thing and work and then coming home and trying to make things operate smoothly at home. Well, now I really am learning, Clayton, but I want to finish on the final element, which is what do you know now with all the years of experience and hindsight that you wish you'd known at the beginning of the journey with Infusionsoft? (laughs) I wish I would have known that a maniacal focus on usage will solve so many of the acquisition and retention problems that we face in in SaaS. And I, I wish I would have had some of the tools that I have at our disposal now so that we didn't have to kind of invent them and figure them out as we got to later stages in the business. Clayton, it's been such a pleasure. You can tell I so enjoyed having you on the show. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you bet, Harry. This has been great. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks for everything you do at Saster. And I want to say what a wonderful guest Clayt was to have on the show. I so enjoyed that interview, as you can tell. And you can see more from Clayt on Twitter, at Clayt Mask. Likewise, I want to say a personal thank you to him for being so open and willing to open up in the interview. I really did so appreciate that. And we'd love to see you behind the scenes here at Sasta. You can find us on Instagram, at hstebbings1996. It'd be fantastic to see you there. But before we leave you today, email gets messy and complicated, especially with Google Groups and distribution lists. Front, the first shared inbox for Teams makes it easy to manage your company's info at and help at email addresses. With Front, teams get back to customers faster with easy internal collaboration and clear owners so there's no confusion. Front also works with Twitter, Facebook, Twilio, SMS, and live chat so your team manages everything in one place and never misses a message again. Today, companies such as Shopify, HubSpot, General Assembly, and Y Combinator all use Front to help their teams work better together and you can sign up for a free trial today at frontapp.com. And thanks to my friends at WePay, let me introduce you to another very cool player in SaaS, Pointman. Now, Pointman offers cloud and mobile products for home service contractors. Thousands of contractors use Pointman apps today to collect more actionable customer data, to engage and service their customers at new levels, and ultimately, to enjoy more financial and personal freedom. In a paper-heavy industry, the platform is eliminating paper with world-class technology, and you can learn more at pointmanhq.com. And to learn how you can grow your revenue within integrated payments like Pointman did, visit wepay.com forward slash Sasta. WePay's got this incredible cheat sheet on how to get started with platform payments. Again, that's wepay.com forward slash Sasta. That really is a must. And as always, we so appreciate all your support and cannot wait to bring you next show with PJ at Showpad.